Well, those in our service, you can be seated. Those that have joined us online, we are glad that you are with us. Fall is here, and uh, I know many of the kids and students are back in school, and that sense of new rhythm uh, is upon us, even though, of course, it's a little different during this time of COVID. So if you would open up your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians, we have a brand new preaching series as we launch into our fall. It's entitled Blessed Beyond Measure, and we're going to be preaching from this book until our Christmas services in December. <coughs> so whether you're going to follow along with your Bible app or in your hard copy, I'm going to read here the first 14 verses from chapter 1. So Paul, <coughs> I will also bring it up on the screen, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you need some peace and grace? The Bible speaks that to us right here. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things upon the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. To the end that we who were first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Father, we thank you for the written word. We thank you, God, for the inspired word. We thank you, Father God, for the pillar that it is to us and how, Lord, we want to camp around the fire of your word. We want to receive insight. We want to receive revelation. And, Father God, we can be famished, but, God, you come to feed us. And so this day, Holy Spirit, would you just come and encourage us and edify us. We thank you now and commit this time to you in Jesus' name. When Paul writes this book, he is sitting in jail. He's self-isolating, he's under quarantine. But as he writes this letter, it's going to be very different from his other letters because he has no problems to solve in the church, like in Corinth where there was division, possible church split, moral issues, or doctrinal problems like at Colossae or Thessalonica. For this letter, he had a blank slate. He could write whatever he wanted without any emergency at hand. And what would he write? What would be his starting point be? What would he tell the new Christians who would be reading this letter? Well, he lands on this. 
my starting point is going to be about the essential nature of God, that he is a father through and through that loves to continually and overwhelmingly bless his children. For many years, when our four kids were growing up, uh, Mimi would anchor the home while I was out for ministry trips overseas. Those trips were usually a couple weeks in length, and it was my tradition after these trips to always get a gift for each of the kids. Mimi would get my paycheck, but I always get something for the kids. On one particular trip, I'd gotten something for Kimmy and Heidi and Matt, but I couldn't find the right gift for Holly, who was my third daughter. Usually, I prayed that God would lead me to the right gift, and in this case, I had already gotten three out of the four gifts, but as, as I was walking through the concourses of the Tokyo airport, I couldn't find just the right one for Holly like I did with the others. So I kept searching and searching, and after about an hour, I started to panic. On top of this, I realized I had wandered into the wrong concourse. So I started walking quickly back towards the right gate, almost starting to trot and praying, God, I need you to help me find something. And just as I prayed, I noticed a store out of the corner of my eye that sold plushy animals. Turns out they were selling specialty animals made in Germany, made from Germany, and my eyes locked onto this cute bear that seemed to be just the right size for Holly, who was about eight years old at that time. I raced into the store, felt its softness, decided it was perfect, whipped out my credit card, paid for it, and thanked the Lord for my happy purchase as I made it just in time to my gate. When I got home and gave it to Holly, she instantly fell in love with it. And not only did she fall in love with it, it quickly became her Woody, if you know that character from the movie Toy Story. As in, it became her favorite among the many animals that she kept on her bed. I was so happy that God had answered my prayer and helped me to find such a great gift at just the last second before I got on the plane. Another time I had bought a watch for the first time for my son Matt, who was about 10 at that time. As befitting an active young boy, I bought him a watch that was shock-resistant with a strong band and looked very techy. It was also purchased from Japan after one of my trips. He loved it so much, I said to myself, at some point, being a little guy, he's going to lose it or break it. So on one of my subsequent trips, I bought I bought two more watches of the exact same kind to keep in my desk drawer in case something happened. Sure enough, the day came, and I was out of town when he had lost his watch. Mimi urgently told me over the phone what had happened and how sad he was. And then with great delight, I said, no problem. I have another one secretly hidden in my desk. So Mimi fetched it and turned a sad little boy into a happy one. Although I was ready for him to lose a watch a second time, he didn't. So I still had one backup. And here it is, still in its packaging, after 10 years. The essential nature and heart of a dad is that we just want to bless and love on our kids. Whether it's racing through an airport to get little stuffed teddy bears or buying a secret supply of backup watches. The Hebrew word for blessed is barach, and it's used 330 times in the Old Testament. The New Testament Greek word for blessed is makarios, and it means to be supremely happy, fortunate, 
and well off. In Deuteronomy 28, as the Israelites were being formed as this nation, and as they were coming into the promised land, and Moses was turning over the reins to Joshua, he said, as you go into the land, Moses was exhorting the people, and he said, if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do according to all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. I'm going to lift you up, the Lord was saying. All the blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. Can you imagine being overtaken by the blessings of God? Same, not only have I delivered you from Egypt, not only have I delivered you from the heavy hand of Pharaoh, not only have I taken you through the Red Sea, that's just the beginning because I'm bringing you into a land that will be full of blessing. And Moses goes on to detail this for them. He says, blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce from the ground, the increase of your herd, the young of the flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed when you come and go. And this whole passage goes on, and I've specifically highlighted the number of times that God has said, you will be blessed. You're going to abound in prosperity. He's going to open up the good storehouse for you. You're going to be the head and not the tail. How thoroughly can a people be blessed inside, outside, up, down, all around? Do you see the heart of God in this? We were created to be blessed by God. It's hard for us to imagine just how deep this is in his heart. We are the objects of his love. He didn't create us to curse us or condemn us or cast us out. He created us to be in family so that he could shine upon us. When God created Adam and Eve in the garden, what were the first words that God said to them? The scripture says God blessed them. And later Jesus would mirror this very same heart because in the Sermon on the Mount as given to us in the Gospel of Matthew, as he was there teaching the multitudes, what were the first words that Jesus said? Blessed are you, poor in spirit, hungry for righteousness. Those who mourn, those who are merciful, Jesus was teaching them how to walk in the blessed life. And nine times he's used this word blessed. And this theme of blessing is so vivid in our passage today. In verse 3 it says that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Not one or two or a couple dozen, every. Every blessing. And who is doing this? It's God the Father. Later on in that same verse, it says that this blessing comes from where? It comes from every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How big is heaven? What's the inventory like in heaven? We're talking about a storehouse like none other. This is a, a bad analogy, but it'll give you an idea. It'd be like going into an Amazon distribution center and saying, everything and anything in here is yours. Tools, makeup, golf clubs, furniture, clothes, shoes, whatever you want. You can go onto the website, click on anything, and that will be delivered to you. Every blessing in the heavenly places. This is how vast God's blessing is over our lives. We see in verse 6, the scripture says that he freely bestowed on us. Freely. No hesitation, no second thoughts, no holding back. 
when our oldest first went to university, Kimmy, and we would go visit her, one of the things that we do is we take her to the grocery store and say, you can buy anything you want, anything. And this was one of the fun things that turned out to be a tradition for our family every time Mimi and I visited the kids is they would go in and, you know, poor college students, they would just eat macaroni and cheese, save on their budget. But when we brought them to the store, and this was Target Greatland. So in the United States, the super Target concept is called Target Greatland. And they also had groceries and food items in there, not just the normal consumer items. And Kimmy would just buy up fresh berries and fruit and meats and all these different things that she normally would not be able to afford. Freely giving, freely bestowed on us, the scripture says here in verse 6. And then in verse 7, it says that he has given us according to the riches of his grace. We think Bill Gates or Elon Musk is wealthy. They're paupers compared to God. The riches of God's grace that we're talking about would melt a calculator in a millisecond. You can't even punch in a number, even with exponential notation. We're talking trillions and gazillions of dollars of grace. It's inexhaustible. And then in verse 8, it says that he has lavished his blessings upon us. That Greek word there is the idea of being poured out, overflowing. It means to be excessive and to exceed. I love this word, lavished. Again, during her college days when, when Heidi was in school, um, Mimi and I had taken her out for a dinner one time and we were walking through the Mall of America and I saw this real cool pair of hipster boots in the window. And I said to Heidi, would you like that pair? She goes, Dad, really? She didn't feel like she needed it, but I coaxed her into trying it on. I thought it would go good with her growing artist creative persona as a fine arts major. So I was able to convince her to try it on, and she fell in love with it, and sure enough, it became one of her favorite boots. I think she even slept with them on. Just kidding. But it was great to just lavish her with a gift. Lavish means that God bans the word economical. These divinely inspired adjectives are meant to impress upon us the essential nature of God. God blesses us beyond measure in Christ. This is the gospel. This is the governing narrative. But in the midst of this, there would come a tragic interruption to a strategy of blessing. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, they would become separated from God and his fellowship. They would give up the perfect condition of the garden. They would be plunged into sin and darkness. But in the sovereignty and omniscience of God, he already knew that this would happen and he made provision for it. He did not have to activate plan B because we messed up. Instead, he had already executed a secret, fail-safe pre-plan one that would preserve plan A and keep the story of blessing on track. How did he do this? By executing two prequels. The first prequel happened before Genesis 1. The second prequel was the prequel to the prequel. This means that God carried out these two plans before the beginning of time and space. And this is mind-blowing stuff because only God could do something like this. 
And the details of these two prequels are given to us in the verses that we just read. So let's go back and trace them. So the first prequel has four subparts. Verse 4, the Bible says that we are chosen. Verse 5 says we are predestined. Verse 7 says we are redeemed. And verse 13 says we are sealed. Now here's the key word that unlocks this first prequel. In verse 4 it says before the foundation of the world he chose us. That means before Genesis 1. Before God declared, let there be light. Before he made the mountains and the seas and the oceans. Before any form was called into existence by the authority of God. He chose us before the foundation of the world. This means that before you were born, before I was born, before we rebelled against him, God says, you're mine despite what you're going to do. Now this also says that we're already in the heart of God. We're already in the mind of God. None of us are a mistake. We are all planned. Now, the circumstances by which we come into this world might be difficult, might be traumatic, but we were purposed in the heart of God even before the world was born. In fact, the scripture says God created the world. He created a garden for us. So we were already in his heart and mind so that we could have this beautiful place to enjoy and to experience his goodness. But when the scripture says here that he chose us before the foundation of the world, he was saying, I'm going to bring you to safety and rescue you from your depravity and the grip of Satan. And as a result of his wanting us, in verse 5 it says, he predestines us to be his sons and daughters by adoption through redemption. God is not going to redeem all the other animals, all the other things that he's created. No, specifically, he has aimed redemption at us. And he's predestined us to receive that gift. Redemption is required because to go to heaven and live with God forever, we need to be made clean and holy again. Now these words, chosen and predestined, they're big words. Words that theologians have peered into deeply and for a long time. How God causes predestination to coexist with free will, I don't know. Except to say it's one of those beautiful divine mysteries to be enjoyed, yet not fully understood because our human intellect cannot comprehend the seemingly exclusive nature of both. God has not created our brains to be able to process how seemingly these two exclusive things can actually be together. When we get to heaven, we'll see it. But on this side, it requires for us to trust and to have faith. All I know is that we get to enjoy the blessing of both, of having personal choice and yet being under the covering of God's foreordination. Then when heaven and earth come together in the form of our trust and faith in Jesus, verse 13 says that God seals us with the Holy Spirit. So we talked about being chosen. We talked about being predestined, we talked about redemption. And then once we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God says that he sends the Holy Spirit to seal us. The precious, powerful, passionate, all-knowing Holy Spirit comes to live in us and bear witness that we belong to God through Jesus Christ, our Savior. His seal 
says that our adoption is fully secured. In ancient days, when a king put a seal to an edict, it was irrevocable. And the King Jesus puts a seal on you and me. It's awesome. And I like to think of this first prequel as Operation I Got This. Man's failure cannot thwart God's love. But for this prequel to work, there had to be another prequel, a second prequel, the prequel to the prequel. If God were to show a never-seen-before film clip of this second prequel, it would be of a beautiful, perfect, pure lamb that was slaughtered. That lamb was God's only son, Jesus Christ. The scene is Calvary, and it's gruesome and horrifying because that's what sin does. It wrecks us. Now, verse 7 speaks of this second prequel. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood. But it's Revelations 13, 8 that takes this verse to another level. And the RSV version is the one that brings it out the best, which I'm quoting here. The Apostle John, who is writing the book of Revelation, has this incredible vision of the last days and how there's going to be light and darkness, the separation of the sheep and the goats, those who will worship God and those who are worshiping the beast. And so in verse 8, it says, all who dwell on the earth will worship the beast. There's going to be a mass worship of the wrong God. All who dwell on the earth will worship the beast. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world. Again, we have this time warp thing that's going on. You and I, our names are written in the book of life before the foundation of the world, of the lamb that was slain. So what's this saying to us? To be in the book, the lamb had to be slain first. First you have before the foundation of the world, and then you have this book. For you to be in that book, it means that the lamb had to be sacrificed. So here's the significance of this pre-prequel. There's no way to predestine us to redemption unless Jesus was first slain. There would have been no blood to make a claim on you and me. Before we could be adopted, God had to pay the ransom. Thus, before everything was created, before God decided to choose us, he had to first sacrifice his son. The genius of God is jaw-dropping. He made provision for our demise before it happened. He knew that we'd fail, but he wouldn't let us perish. This second prequel is what the angels will be singing about for eternity. Revelations 5, it says, again, the Apostle John, I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. So there's three audiences here that are around the throne of God, the angels, the living creatures, and the elders, and the number of them were myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. As far as the eye could see, countless number, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Eternity understands this revelation of the lamb that was slain. They understood this very doctrine that we're talking about. They saw firsthand this prequel before the prequel. 
before the world, the cosmos, was created. They saw that God was moving in a place where there was no time and space. And Jesus Christ was slain before he actually went to Calvary. How can this happen? We know not, except that God planned it for you and for me. And so when the ages are consummated, and we're all going to be there, we see this amazing, beautiful scene. The living creatures, the angels, the elders, praising and worshiping the Lamb that he would receive all power and riches. It says, every created thing which is in heaven and on earth, verse 13, and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. The slain lamb is the centerpiece of redemption history. In this sense, Paul was starting out this letter with worship. This is what Paul wanted the new Christians to see, that God orchestrates all things for our good, past, present, future, and even before time began. This is the gospel Paul wanted the readers to be gloriously taken with. He wanted them to see the goodness of God that the faith they put in God was better than what they could have ever imagined. This was to be their foundational understanding of God. And this is what would sustain them through persecution and difficulty and trials in the days to come. It wasn't easy to be a Christian in those days. It was a brand new religion in the earth. Who were these Jesus followers? Who were these people that only believed in one God? Who were these people that would not sacrifice like pagans to idols? Who were these people that would be willing to die for their faith? And so Paul was feeding them with this amazing view of who God is, what his essential nature was. And as the Christians would read this, it would be fortifying to them through the days that they would face through persecution and difficulty. And this was the God that was sustaining Paul even as he sat in jail. It may not seem like that I'm blessed in this small, dark, damp cell, but I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. I'm blessed beyond measure. Now, one of the things to grasp about what Paul is saying here is we're talking about an inner treasure. We're talking about an inner glory. We're talking about an inner reality. The things that the world feeds us, the thing that the world's advertised to us is that to be happy, to be blessed, it's all external. That's not where eternal blessing is. Eternal nur internal nourishment and blessing and glory is within. But the world flips it on us and keeps selling it to us in order to be happy, in order to be blessed, in order to be joyful. You need all these other things. You go on the internet now and there's all these bots and there's all this software that tracks you, that knows your preferences so they can just continually push and customize and cater to your desires. And they're fun. They're good things. It's great to have a nice pair of shoes. It's great to wear some wonderful slacks or have a beautiful dress on. But that's not where our treasure is. And in Christians, we need to nail this down, that our treasure is not of this world that our treasure flows from God the Father, and we are wealthy because of what we have on the inside through the Holy Spirit. We truly need to get this value down. 
Because that means when we die, we won't say, oh, I want to take my treasures with me. Or you're going to be looking back like Lot's wife, wanting the things of this world and being turned into a pillar of salt. Materialism, which the world pitches to us, is not the way of joy and happiness or blessedness. Instead, it doesn't matter if I'm in a jail cell. It doesn't matter if I'm being tortured. It doesn't matter if I'm being persecuted or spat upon because I have the riches within. And no one can take that away from you and from me. This is the fire that has to burn in us as Christians. This is what makes us strong. This is what makes us proud. This is what makes us stand up and say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. And there's nothing that you can do to rob me of the blessings. The whole purpose of Paul bringing this out in verse 13 is so that we would come to faith in Jesus. Do you want to receive this God into your heart? Do you want Jesus to become the Savior of your life? Now, you know, we've, we've heard these words so often. Jesus is our Savior. The world celebrates Jesus, the Savior that was born into the world, but it makes no impact to them because they're not slowing down and they're not thinking about these words. They're not thinking about the implications that I literally could have eternal life. I literally can have my sins washed away. I literally can have the judgment over my life be removed. This is the glorious gospel. You and I have the words of life. And when we share these truths, we can't let them dribble out of our mouths as if we're a little bit hesitant or shy about these words. No, we need to shout it from the rooftops. And Paul was doing this even though he was shut up in a jail cell. In him, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed. Thank God for our intellects. Thank God for all the things that man has discovered, all the industries that we've created. You think about our smartphones. That represents right now the leading edge of man's intelligence. Think about all the machinery it took to make the silicone chips. Think about all the software, the fact that we have the world's knowledge in our palm, that I can call someone right now in Siberia, that I can look up a soccer score, that I can buy a car off my app, that I can find out how the weather is going to be. It's incredible. Our intellect that God has given us is amazing, but it's nothing compared to faith. Putting your trust in Jesus Christ is the smartest thing that you will ever do. And so Paul says here, after listening to the message of truth, of his blessing, of Jesus Christ, the lamb that was slain, will you believe? That's the question of the age. Will you believe? God wants us to give our whole heart, not part. We tend to think of Jesus as sort of this add-on thing. Got my house, got my job, got my career, and I want a little religion. Yeah, you know what? Ellen's trying to be a good person. I need to be a good person too, so tack on Jesus. That's not how Christianity works. Christianity is not a tack on religion. It's all or nothing. I've been studying the life of Jesus from the book of Mark, when he called Andrew and Simon and James and John, it says they immediately left everything to follow him. What's holding you back? Why are you holding back from God? Why are you holding on to the things of this world when every spiritual blessing is yours 
in God. Give your whole heart to him. Don't hold back. He's lavished his love on you, so return that love with abandon. You know, we're all zealous. We all have the ability to zealous. You know, we like to say in Canadian culture, we're just kind of chill, we're kind of easygoing, we're super nice. But you know what? Deep in the heart of every single person, we have a zeal. There's a zeal to be stirred up. And the Holy Spirit, the gospel of Jesus, lights that zeal. So completely surrender to him. Maybe this morning you're discouraged by your circumstances. Maybe COVID has just gotten you down. I admit COVID gets me down. I don't like it. But how do I encourage my soul? How do I get back to that place of joy and strength? I have to come back to the gospel. I have to come back to these passages like we're studying here in Ephesians chapter 1. If God orchestrates such a salvation for us, even invoking the tools of predestination and adoption and sacrificing his own son, can he not work all things together for your good, no matter how difficult your situation may be? See, the gospel lifts us up to have perspective. It's the heavenly breeze that lifts us up like eagles so that we can truly see as God sees. <coughs> Let your faith be lifted up today. Lift your eyes to the hill from whence your help comes from. Your help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I want to encourage you all to be encouraged today because of the verses that we read and the implications of it. I gave you a lot of big things to think about in a very short period of time. I encourage you to go back and dwell deeply on these words that you're chosen, that you are predestined, that God has redeemed you before the foundations of the earth. The gospel gives you ground to take back the ground that has so discouraged you. Pastor Rich, this has happened to me, and I'm going through this. God does not deny the difficulty of your situation, physical, spiritual, mental, or emotional. But he's saying, lift up your eyes to see the gospel. Lift up your eyes to see how I've orchestrated all of this. Let the good confession return to your mouth. Let your cold heart be warmed again. And if your heart is already warm, that may have become more on fire for Jesus because we're blessed beyond measure. So, Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for these words, Father God, that came out of the jail cell like an arrow and it hit the bullseye. And, Lord, I think about all those that heard this letter as it was read from the synagogues. And how they must have been stunned at the majesty and the glory and the finished work of Christ that Paul said in these simple words and these powerful sentences. We want to recapture that majesty. We want to open our eyes. We want to be stirred by the power of the Holy Spirit in this day. We throw down the lethargy. We throw down the passivity. Lord, regain dominion in our lives. Let heaven come down. This morning, if you've been on the fence about becoming a follower of Jesus, I encourage you to give your life to him this morning, right now. If in your room, maybe you're in a space by yourself, I encourage you to get down on your knees. 
and say, God, I give my life to you. I surrender my life to you right now and completely pour your heart out and surrender it all to Jesus. And then just say simply, Jesus, come into my heart and you will feel the rush of heaven, a peace come on you that is supernatural. And the Holy Spirit will come and touch you with the joy and seal you with the peace. For those that have been maybe just slogging along, Father, we pray for fresh fire. Bring the fire. Bring the fire. Lord, let the words just pop off the pages of the Bible so that we can receive your touch. Spirit of God, move in your church in this hour. We need it. We need it. Move in your church. That means to move in each of our hearts. Father, we thank you for this amazing letter that's before us. How Paul had this revelation is we're going to read next week how this was such a deep, deep burden for him that he prayed a prayer that you said was so powerful it has to be part of the Bible. So Lord, like the myriads of angels and like the living creatures and like the elders, we worship you this morning and we give thanks, Father God, for this gospel of hope, eternal life, and blessing. And we thank you now in your name. Amen and amen. Have a great week. We are praying for you as a staff, as all of you get back to school, as you're navigating your new uh, work routines. And uh, keep praying for the church here. Keep connecting with your brothers and sisters. And we'll see you next Sunday. Blessings.